Hello and welcome to Codish, an exploration of the lives of modern developers. Join us as we dive into topics like languages and frameworks, data and event-driven architectures, and individual and team productivity, all tailored to developers and engineering leaders. This episode is part of our Deeply Technical series. Welcome to Codish. My name is Julian Duque. I'm a senior developer advocate here at Heroku. And today we are recording from NodeConf EU, the main Node.js conference that happens in Europe. So we are here at the beautiful city of Kilkenny in Ireland. And with me, I have the pleasure to be with Ruben Bridgewater. Ruben is a software architect and works as a Node.js consultant. And he's also part of the Node.js project. So Ruben, tell us a little bit more about what you are doing here at the conference, what you were talking about or uh, teaching about here at NodeConfU. So in this particular case, I gave a workshop about error handling best practices and what patterns you can use to make your life easier debugging um, your application later. We are going to be uh, talking a little bit more about your workshop and that content uh, later. I'm just uh, curious about what got you into NodeCore? What brought you into be like involved, pretty much almost full time working for the Node.js project? I started relatively early contributing to open source for multiple reasons. So while working for a different company, we used Node.js and, and the Node.js ecosystem is very big, but we needed a couple of modules that I've not been totally happy with. They were a little bit buggy and maybe not really performant enough. So I went in and, and just fixed a lot of things there. And I became a maintainer of a couple of projects. But how am I able to reach most people is, of course, if you contribute to Node Core directly. And I really like that idea as well. I followed the project for a while before I started contributing on my own. And just by looking at issues, pull requests, and things like that. And I started to contribute in a few areas of the code base that were not maintained by other people all that much because I felt like everything that is in Node Core should be in a good state. And that was not the case at that point of time. Okay, yes. The Node.js project has been evolving for a while and pretty much we are celebrating the 10 years of Node.js. It's a project that I started in 2009 and the community have seen like a great transformation around the project. Uh, when do you started like contributing to Core? It was before the IOJS? A fork or after it? It was after. Oh, yeah, nice. Yeah, I started contributing to the Node project also after IOJS because I found that it was like more open and it, it's, it was more welcoming to external contributors. So that was like one of the good things that happened to the project. It was like kind of a little bit stale and not getting a lot of uh, innovation and evolution. But after, after the fork, and being able to join the Node.js Foundation, a lot of other people caught a lot of interest and started contributing to Node. So you found it like easy to get into the community or you found like some sort of barriers when you tried to start contributing? How was that experience for you? For me, it felt very open. So I got to know a couple of Node.js collaborators and also people from the technical steering committee of Node.js on a conference. 
and and it was very good to talk to them and they uh, tried to get me involved in the project as well uh, when they noticed that I was already contributing to other projects and so on. It was very straightforward to just open a pull request, you get reviews and there was no problem of interaction pretty much. So for me, it was very open. Right now, what are you working in the Node.js project? What are your main areas of work right now? There is no easy answer to that question because I work on multiple areas of Node Core. And sometimes it's just whatever pops up and that I believe should be worked on. I can give a couple of examples that I mainly maintain. For example, the Node Core internal error system is one that I mainly wrote or um, pretty much everyone who use console log is using my code because I am the main maintainer of util inspect and util inspect is internally used for the console log. I'm also the main maintainer of the cert module. The reason for that is that not a lot of people wanted to maintain those modules originally, but it felt not so ideal that um, their functionality felt broken and uh, no functionality in node core should be broken so i started contributing to parts that uh, not so many people wanted to work on now everything makes sense so that's why you are like very interested in error handling best practices because you are involved in the error handling and error reporting part of node is that correct that is partially true, yeah. But in general, I would say it's more about giving users a good experience. And I really care about developer experience. I want to have tools that are very simple and straightforward for developers and to use to give them a lot of feedback and just to make their life easy. That's not always the case with JavaScript. So sometimes we have to build tools to make it easier. And how has been your experience as a software architect and consultant to give you insights and information about how other companies are running Node. So it has given you more tools to be able to contribute back to the project and improve those areas? Or how, how has been that, that experience by working on the field? One thing that you will definitely realize is uh, companies run into a couple of problems more frequent. And when you see that, and that's an area that I would like to improve. For example, it is the reason why I give talks about error handling. I've seen errors being error handling being spread out through projects uh, all over without a concrete pattern. And often you lost information. Um, it did not work as expected. And it's, it's really simple to improve um, a lot of that by sticking to a couple of best practices. For me, one of the most difficult parts while I was doing also consulting as a Node.js developer is that you have different ways of doing asynchronous programming. So you have callbacks, you have promises, and now you have async await. And every one of those different patterns have a different way of doing error handling. And it has like other different things that that are not going to be easy for a team to to be able to manage all of the different edge cases. So what type of best practices or recommendations can you give to the people that are, that are listening to you and are having the same challenges of dealing with errors in Node.js? So with the current version of Node Core, 
there is one very straightforward uh, recommendation that everyone uh, should do is using async await as much as possible because there you will get async stack traces and that's the only way to get async stack traces uh, for no extra cost so it's really really good it makes your code more readable and it's so simple to use and so that that would be number one rule okay so async await so we can get like async stack traces what version of Node.js is starting to support uh, async stack traces? And that's coming from Node.js version 12 on. Oh, Node.js version 12, which is an LTS version right now. So if, if you upgrade your Node.js projects from 10 to 12, you are going to get the benefits of having more visibility around the stack traces because of async stack trace. What other recommendation and best practice you, do, you, uh, do you have to give? Normally, People are wrapping a lot of code in a try-catch and, and re-throwing errors, but this is normally not the best way to do it. Instead, just think about what your application is built off. Like you normally have different layers in your application. One layer is, for example, incoming requests, for example, a REST API, maybe a GraphQL API. And you want to validate all the incoming data, if it's um, doing the right thing or not, if it's uh, valid data, if the person is allowed to access some data. And you should throw um, the arrows uh, wherever um, something went wrong or where you validated. And you should then handle that error in one single function for that layer. That's in the incoming requests. You can do something similar with outgoing requests. So when you are having a remote procedure call, you are calling a different API, you want to make sure that you handle the arrows only in that one spot and not like spread out in different parts of the application. You want to handle all database-related errors only in one spot for the database or for the caching layer. And that reduces the surface where you can do something wrong. And what to do, for example, with HTTP errors on a regular API? If we are writing like Node.js servers and we need to properly return like HTTP errors and status codes, what can we do to improve that, uh, that uh, situation? There, there are like patterns that we can implement here? Yes, um, normally I would recommend uh, against inheritance and it's not so good in JavaScript because you don't need it. Uh, everything in JavaScript is an object uh, when you create a new object it is an individual instance so this is already great. With arrows it's a tiny bit different. We normally want to have like one um, error where you can abstract everything from. That's the application uh, error class and then we have another error that um, inherits from that class, for example, um, some kind of user-facing error for incoming requests, and another type that is there for outgoing requests. And, and we can add a couple of extra information on that error by adding extra properties in the constructor, and also, for example, give the status code when we abstract it further. Like from the user-facing error, we could say we want to have a bad request error and a not found error. A prohibited error. When you throw such an error, it's very expressive. Everyone who would read throw new um, not found error would understand what is going on in your code and you would not have to worry about adding the property for the status code anymore because that's part of the error that you're already throwing because it's part of the class. 
So when you later on uh, check in the error handler, the abstraction, uh, where you now want to send back the information that something went wrong to the user, you will just check if it is an instance of the user-facing error because we all inherit from them and we only need a single check. So we know, okay, those are all of the right type and we access the correct property, which would be the status code and that's what we send back automatically. It's all there. Um, that's, that's a nice abstraction, makes the code very simple, very small and understandable. And also if you have like a very good log login strategy in place, you are going to get specifically that type of error and exception that happen in your application instead of the regular error object, which a lot of people just uses. They say like throw new error because it's the easiest way, but it is not giving you a lot of context and information. Just by giving an error message, maybe it's not the best, the best thing to do. Is there any other recommendation that you, you were giving in your workshop or do you think that we cover pretty much the most important ones? Um, of course, there's more. And for example, using utility functions like util promisify, in general, working with promises is much, much more difficult than a lot of people think. Also, when using async await, there are a couple of pitfalls that are not obvious, and, and those are partially coming from the spec itself. It's problematic to work around them. Uh, it is possible in multiple cases, though. So what do we not want to do? We do not want to promisify callback-based API on our own. Instead, we should use something like util promisify, a core Node.js functionality that you can use to do that. Um, because uh, building a new constructor, like using a new promise, is very difficult to do right. And sometimes you might um, have uh, some code that would end up uh, not being noticed later on to be faulty, because there is a dead zone for the code execution in the promise constructor. It's a little bit difficult to explain it in detail without uh, showing some code. Yeah, but definitely we are going to be sharing some code and we're going to be sharing uh, Ruben's workshop in, in the resources we always put uh, at the end of the episode. So I would recommend you to go and take a look and play with all of the different examples that are in the workshop. And we will also be sharing like previous presentations that Ruben have given in other conferences about this, this specific topic because it's very important. And especially if you are running Node.js applications, error handling is one of the most challenging parts in Node. And if you do it right, you are going to be, be having more peace while you are running your, your application in production. It's not the only utility function. So one another downside with promises is that it will keep your code or your application running, even in case of an error. And let's imagine you had a regular callback-based API before, and you refactored it to async await. If there would have been a programmer error before, it would have thrown an uh, uncaught exception. Mm -hmm. But due to using async await, it would now end up as an unhandled rejection. And an unhandled rejection is not going to crash the application by default. It is also only there on the next tick to be detected. So it's an asynchronous operation in general. Um, and we do not want to continue running the application in those cases either, at least when you're on the server side. The front end is a little bit different. 
why do we not want to continue running the application is that you might have a memory leak, a broken state, and this could end up in a really bad situation later on. So mostly we are having a, a cluster where you, for example, use Kubernetes and your service when it's crashing is going to be replaced. So everything is going to be reset to the defaults and you don't have to worry about a broken state. You don't have to worry about memory leaks anymore. Uh, so what can you do to actually solve that? It's very simple at the moment. Node Core since um, Node 10 at the moment, which is only supported in Node 10.17. That's the latest version at the moment. And does support a flag that is called dash dash unhandled dash rejections. And there are three different modes you can choose. Uh, I really recommend to use the strict mode, which will then end up crashing the application even in case of an unhandled rejection. And if you don't have like an unhandled rejection, uh, a handler in the process moduled by checking th that event, uh, I'm also be going to, to share in the description of the of the podcast uh, presentation that I gave here at NodeConf U, which was like pretty much talking about that specific part of error handling when the process is shutting down when there is an on-card exception what to do and definitely we agree and that's the recommendation in the community it's better to restart the process and start something fresh than trying to recover from a programmer error because it can it can end the application in a in a very bad state okay. do you have anything to to add or any invitation or recommendation to the people that are listening to us? Mostly try to think about errors while building in the code or while writing the API in the first place. Also always make sure to test all edge cases of your API when writing your tests and check for error cases. That's often not done. And it's one of the reasons why a lot of code in production um, receives errors that are otherwise not there uh, that, that could have been caught during development already so just um, try to ease your life by investing a tiny bit of more time up front oh yeah that's a very very good recommendation well Ruben thank you very much for your time and for your knowledge it's uh, very very good and I hope a lot of our listeners that are working with Node.js are going to get uh, a lot of information from this talk. And even if they are not working with Node, pretty much most of the recommendations around error handling are going to apply to other platforms, like having a good testing uh, strategy, logging strategy, being able to work on an error-driven oriented API to, to have like a proper error. So it's, it's something that is going to be applying for, for other technologies. So well, uh, this is uh, the error handling episode with Ruben Bridgewater and let's see you on the next one. Thank you very much. Thank you as well. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Codish podcast. Codish is produced by Heroku, the easiest way to deploy, manage, and scale your applications in the cloud. If you'd like to learn more about Codish or any of Heroku's podcasts, please visit heroku.com slash podcasts.